Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Guys, we're coming into our last consecutive COVID episode, I think, unless something really big happens out in the world, which, come on, like something would happen in just one week. But... Unless something big happens, uh, I think we're going to start doing some non-COVID stuff and try to get back to a little bit of normalcy next week. This week, I want to kind of wrap up our big push on COVID with the most common questions that we are getting in our Uncharted roundtables. Those are the roundtables that we're having inside the Uncharted community. Uh, the questions you can look forward to this episode are, how do we get everything done with a skeleton crew? What do we do if someone on our team tests positive? Since this all started, one of the people on my team is doing something that's driving everyone else crazy, what do I do about that? Why don't other clinics have to follow the rules? What services are essential? And how do I get my team to understand we need help and to jump in and go above and beyond? The last thing is I spent so much time building our team, building our savings, getting out of debt, so on and so forth. And now it all is crumbling down and I feel so sad, angry, defeated, frustrated. What do I do to feel better and move on? Those are the questions that we tackle. Feel free to jump in and enjoy them. I like this episode a lot. I hope it will answer some of the big questions that you guys have. Let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. We are supported by Pet Desk Gang. These are uncertain times, but the one thing we can be certain about is that we are going to have to communicate with pet owners now and in the future. Guys, Pet Desk has a five-star rated mobile app that lets you communicate with your clients when and where they want to. They can do things like request appointments, refill prescriptions, do two-way messaging, and access medical records all without a phone call. If you'd like to learn more, we actually have a special offer. Head over to petdesk.com slash uncharted. That's petdesk.com slash uncharted. Check it out. And we are back. It's me and Stephanie. The wheels in the sky keep turning. Goss. <laughs> That's a fun one. How's oh, it going, Andy? Oh boy, what a what a week! What a week is right. Oh boy, all right. Huh. Well, we have continued to get topics that are not COVID related, and I am ready to talk about not COVID stuff. Me too. But I know, but we so in Uncharted. We do, we're doing a lot of roundtables. We have roundtables for just practice owners. We have roundtables for the whole community. And we're getting somewhere between 30 and 50 people um, on our, we, we meet Sunday nights, uh, Wednesday nights. We have happy hours on Friday. And plus, we also have practice owner only meetings. And we're getting 30 to 50 people on all of those events all week long, uh, just hammering stuff out. And so we, uh, we have a lot of interest in this. Here's what I want to try to do to wrap up our immediate like COVID run. And then I want to talk about other things and start to get back to some level of normalcy. So there are questions that come up again and again and again and again across the round tables. And, um, and so I see that as, as a gap where, where people are struggling or where the information is not, is not getting out very well. So let's you and me 
just go through the most common questions that I see. And these are paraphrased questions or, or squished together, you know, three different questions kind of smashed together into one. But I, I think this could be super useful. Let's just hit the stuff that is most commonly being asked. And then we'll call that uh, this episode. And then next week, let's do something that's not COVID. How does that sound? I love it. All right. I love it. Sweet. I'm I love ready for a change of pace. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I think I think most of us are. All right. Yeah. Um huh. one of the big questions that we get a lot, especially from smaller practices, is how are we supposed to get everything done with a skeleton crew? Or if we split our people into two shifts so that they're not completely commingled, um, you know, so so that if someone uh tests positive or something like that, we don't have everyone out. If we split a small team into two shifts we can't staff all of our hours. What do we do? And so we've had that question a number of times. Do you want to start unpacking that? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's a hard one for people to wrap their brains around because I think that the obvious answer that doesn't feel so obvious in the time of crisis is that you can't. And so I think in the, it, when we first started this thing, um, you know, we're, we're ahead, kind of ahead of the curve here in Washington, but when we started this three weeks ago, um, I think people were not thinking at all like, oh, this is gonna truly affect my business on a catastrophic scale. And, um, a lot of us were continuing business as usual. And so um, I, at least in my practice, we discovered pretty early on that, that the answer was we could, could not, we can't, we can't staff five days a week, three doctor practice. If we lose five people because they're sick or they have daycare issues or whatever, we can't staff um, extended hours. If one of our doctors is home caring for a partner who is sick. We can't staff our schedule and the what ifs and the ifs just keep piling up. And so I think that for a while, a lot of us were trying to avoid having to face the reality, which is that you can't. And so I think what you can do is I think you have to sit down and you have to look at what do you need on a very bare bones scale to serve your clients? And it may not feel like it's enough. It may not actually be enough, but when you get down to it for your clients who need to come in for truly essential pet care in the face of crisis, what does that look like for your practice? For some multi-doctor practices, the answer may be that you cut back to one doctor doing surgery a couple of days a week and one doctor the rest of the time. It may be that you shift to telemedicine or having more on-call hours or I mean, the options are numerous for practices, but I think the hard reality is that you really have to sit down and look at what does bare bones truly look like for your practice and how many people does that take? And that's where I think you start finding your answers. Yeah. Let me, let me give my Andy Rourke kind of culture answer here as well in context. So I think one of the things that plays into almost all of what we're going to talk about today is this, um, the practices that I see that are really struggling are the ones who have not 
either intentionally not been transparent with their staff about where they are and what they're dealing with, or mostly it's, it's unintentional. Um, they haven't been transparent and, or they have not included their staff in the struggle. And so I, I, what happens a lot, and we'll get to some of this is, um, there's a balance here. We don't want to scare our people, right? We don't want them to be terrified and, and just live in fear that they're going to get laid off at any time. And part of that is transparency of saying what we can do and what we can't do. But another part of that is saying, guys, this is difficult for our business. And I want us to be here for the long term. And, I, and, and we need to be here when our community recovers so that we can take care of pets and we're all in this together. And so we're going to have to figure out how to get through this. Mm-hmm. And I think just having a simple conversation like that or framing it in that way brings home the idea that like, hey, um, this is not ideal. I'm not going to act like I control everything. I don't. We are trying to do our best. And what that means is the shifts are going to change. Uh, we have practices that address this with a skeleton crew by shortening hours. Uh, take you know, just being like, "Hey, we're gonna we're not going to be open Wednesday afternoons." Um, I've seen I've seen practices shorten hours and then expand hours into the weekend um, and right. do Sunday hours or things like that. And it's a way that they can spread the staff apart and work with the crews that they have. So I guess the point to make is you can get creative mm-hmm. in how you do this. Yeah. A lot of practices, especially if we're doing uh, if we're doing curbside, which I think we sh- all should be doing at this point, if we're doing curbside, uh, um, you know, communication with clients where they, where they don't come into the building, the appointments take a little bit longer, right? We're walking out, especially the doctors are on the phone doing the communication. Uh, think we're we're doing we're doing a lot of cleaning. Everybody's dealing with PPE stuff like that. We're doing a little bit longer appointments. So I think there's the the logistical part of it, but I I, I do think a big part of this is the communication part where you say, guys we may not get everyone's not going to get the hours that they yeah. used to get you know we are going to do our best to keep you guys busy and you know um it's just one day at a time so yeah. that's kind of my 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 answer for the how do we get everything done with a skeleton crew and two shifts it's lower your expectations don't plan on being able to do everything that you used to do with half the people that's and i do see a lot of people have that expectation that's not realistic you, you're not going to just magically have the volume that you used to have while running half the people. Like, that's that's not going to happen. And so just go ahead and start shifting things around and be honest about what is what is possible. Well, and I think the other danger um, that a lot of clinics are facing or have already faced is when we look, this is big and scary, and the natural... Um, human tendency is to want to bury our hands head in the sand and pretend like it's not happening. Um, and so in the beginning, I watched a lot of practices um, continue to run full speed ahead. And as team members start being affected, whether it's school closures or people being ill, people being scared to come to work, people starting to have to deal with family members, parents, um, especially elderly parents, um, you know, uh, spouses, um, partners, kids who are getting sick, people start dropping off. And I've watched a lot of really um, 
really awesome practices significantly struggle when the, um, you know, mode of operation continues to be, let's take whatever comes in the door. It is proving to be the fastest way to burn out our teams. Um, and so I think if you haven't already had to look at how are you going to modify your business, I think now is the time to look at your team and be honest and be real and say, hey, look, we want to make it through to the other side of this with, um, you know, our team intact and functioning and still caring about one another. And so what do we need to do to make that happen? Yeah, I think people need to think of this as an ongoing event. This is a siege. You know, it's it's a siege. And, and it's just, who, who knows how long we're going to be running our businesses like this. And mm-hmm. so pace yourself. And if you're trying to run wide open, uh, you're you're setting yourself up for someone coming in sick and then they find out that they're sick and they've been sick for the last five days and not known it. And now we're, now we're in real trouble and we're going to have uh, possibly multiple people in the practice uh, going out. And, and it, it's just, yeah, it, we will get to that about people kind of still running wide open and we'll talk about that a little bit, but yes, I think the smart play is to, is to get strategic, get outside your head and, reject the idea we need to do all the things that we have done in the past how do i do that with a skeleton crew or how do i do that with a reduced staff number the answer is you don't go back let go of what you've done in the past and look at this with fresh eyes and saying how do we do this and let me also throw in one more thing right here because right now there's a couple people losing their mind and they have a tiny staff and they're like andy we have six people we cannot do two shifts. And, and I just want to say that that is a reality for everyone. So when I start saying this, I don't want to come off like this is what you have to do. And if you don't split into multiple shifts, then you're a bad clinic. That's not, that's not true. Some clinics do not have that. They are going to have to just double down on the best protocols, really keeping their people safe and healthy and doing everything that they can. And just say, this is what we have. And we only have one shift, which means we really have to do our absolute best and still know that some things are outside of your control. Well, yeah. And I think for those smaller teams, I think the answer lies in being honest about, again, what do you actually have to do? Like you might have a small team. You might be a one doctor practice with six people and you're like, normally we, you know, are Monday through Friday and then we handle calls over the weekend and we're, you know, we're on call Saturday and Sunday. The reality is if you're running that small of a skeleton crew and one person gets sick, it's detrimental in a way that a bigger practice that has the capacity to call someone in from the bench, they don't have to face that feeling of, you know, now you're, you're one tech who does all your surgeries with you is out. And now what do you do? So I think that those smaller practices even more so have to be honest about what do you actually need to survive? And start there in terms of your plan as a practice, because the answer is going to be different for every practice. Right. And if you're like, what are these things that we should be thinking about? You drop back uh, an episode or two ago, our first COVID episode, uh, that was a bonus episode we put out. I think we did a pretty good job of unpacking a lot of that stuff. So that may be helpful to people. Another question that comes up again and again and again, and I I think it's obvious (sighs) why this comes up again and again and again. Yeah. What do I do if someone on my team tests positive? Well, the reason it comes up again and again and again and again is that this is very state specific. 
And so we're about yeah. to frustrate people by not saying, here's exactly what you do. Um, it, this is very state specific about what you're supposed to do or what you're legally obligated to do. This is something where you're going to have to do a little bit of homework, but we can at least point you in the right direction and make your search for that homework a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. I think every, um, every state has responded to the situation differently based on what they're actually facing. And there are still states out there that haven't really put a lot of things in place because their case numbers are very small um, mm -hmm. and or are very isolated. And then there's states like, you know, New York and California and Washington where um, the numbers are astronomic. And so from the, from, you know, three weeks ago, we started having um, rules and um, restrictions put in place in terms of how you deal with it. Um, so my personal experience in the practice was that everything in our state um, is being run through the individual county departments of health. So um, the state department of health is leaning heavily on the local, um, the local county in our state. It's broken up by counties to, to manage it. Each county is in charge of managing their response and, and cases, and it all runs back up um, the line to the State Department of Health and then to the CDC. And so in the very beginning, when we had someone who um, we thought could uh, have been exposed, our Department of Health was super, super helpful. So almost all states have set up additional manpower um, and have people who are working from home answering phones and answering questions. And so I got on the phone um, with someone from the Department of Health and had the opportunity to ask all of my questions, including this is our scenario. This is what our hospital looks like. This is what our client contact looks like. I have someone on my team who is um, currently being quarantined and being tested. What do we do if the test comes back positive? Um, and then they gave me advice about what the recommendation was. Um, and so I would say you need to reach out to the authorities. So many places are being amazing about putting as much resource information online as possible because the cities, the counties, the states recognize that they've asked people not to leave their houses. And so they are doing an excellent job of reaching people where they are. And so um, the information is out there. And if you don't know where to start, I would start by um, Googling your local department of health. And I bet you that they have a website with lots of information about what is specific to your region already out there on the internet. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So um, I'm just looking. We had uh, one of our Uncharted members posted her findings from the uh, Pennsylvania Department of Health uh, today. And there, there's just there's just a wide variation in states and what's being given. Um, Department of Health is where you start. And and here's the other thing that I would say, just, just to kind of comfort people a little bit. The way that we deal with employees testing positive is going to be the exact same way that every other small business deals with it, whether they're, uh, you know, an auto store or a Starbucks or a Target, um, which is not a small business, but you get the point. Um, we we are not alone in the concern of what if one of our employees tests positive. This is not a vet specific problem, which means they at this point have been completely bombarded with uh, businesses asking, <laughs> "What do we do?" And uh, if they don't have a polished response at this point, it's on them. But um, yeah, your your department of uh, your department of health is is where to go. So look at your county department, uh, or just start at the state department of health, uh, whichever you can find better information at. And the other thing that I think is important to recognize again, and and we've kind of talked about this from the beginning, but the information literally changes 
day to day, sometimes hour to hour as this thing um, spreads. And so I know the answer that I got three weeks ago when we had someone, um, our, our first person um, with possible exposure is radically different than the answer that our Department of Health is giving now three weeks later. And so I think that is that is going to be significantly impacted by the impact of the virus in your area. And so just know that things are changing and everybody has to take a deep breath. And, and, um, you know, I, I'll be honest when I called the department of health, I was on hold for a solid half hour. And that was in the early days, be prepared for long wait times, um, you know, and be prepared to be, um, to the point and have your questions written out, but they are super, super, super helpful with giving information. Yeah. I, I just couldn't imagine working in the department of health and not being like, you know what? We're getting a lot of the same questions again and again and again. Let's right. post this on the internet. Like let's, <laughs> let's make a document. But again, government, yeah. uh, government agencies are their own beasts and we'll, we'll leave it at that. Let's, switch gears a little bit because this is a fun little side thing that's happening and and something i i enjoy talking about this because it's it feels different in my mind the interpersonal issues are flaring up in new and exciting ways inside of clinics and so we get um we get questions about this veterinarian that works at our practices is driving everyone crazy and, um, or she's, she's yelling at people or she won't stop talking. <laughs> she talks constantly, right. well, you know, and, and people are going, what, what is this weird behavior that's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I this one, this one's, it's funny, but not in the funny ha ha kind of way. Like it is, it is, um, it's real that's happening and I want to um, the discussions uncharted and other manager groups um, that I have uh, that I'm a part of and I think the thing that is true is that everybody has a different response to stress and in a normal in a normal healthy perfect environment we all have different responses to stress and so the um the way that someone acts outwardly um, in response to something that's going on in their personal life is going to be different. We know that when someone is um, going through a divorce or someone is having problems with one of their kids or they're having um, you know, concerns over money, we have seen the behaviors of our team members change in response to those normal life stressors. Now, the thing to remember about this situation is that for a lot of us, this is prolonged stress. This is days turning into weeks and now turning into multiple months worth of very raised cortisol levels in people. And I think the answer is, is that um, you don't know how someone is going to react to that stress. And I think a lot of the behavior that we're seeing is a result of that response in a lot of us to the sustained stressful environment. Yeah. That, that's the point that I would make. Cause so generally when people say, Oh, I've got a doctor who's doing this or someone is doing that. We talk about how you talk to this person, how you sort of approach this person, getting your head straight to have this conversation. The advice I'm going to give right now is a little bit different. And I'm sure we've all seen this. And if you haven't 
seen it in your coworkers. It's probably just because you don't know them well enough. Think about the behavior of your family members. I'm sure that everyone has seen their family members' behaviors change or seen little quirks or things come out that you haven't seen in a long time. And that's, that's stress. And so what I sort of, what I'm saying to these, to people who are saying, Oh, there's this behavior that's coming up. Be kind, you know, <laughs> be, be kind. We, we're all dealing with this in different ways, but yes, things like, like what I, what I, gave as examples the the talking continuously the mm-hmm. getting mad the snapping the shortness of patience the irritability things like that yeah don't take it personally you know know that this is a stress response know this person is not having a, they're not their best self or they're not even their normal self they, they they may they may really be struggling but when you're seeing especially behavior changes to say well you know the last month has been really tough that's probably this person um, dealing with stress. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we let it go. I think compassion is still where you come from. Mm -hmm. When you go to the person, you say, how are you doing? I've noticed that you're you're angry a lot. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't have the patience that you usually have. And I just want to make sure that you're okay. And start with that, not, hey, you're getting angry a lot and it's not okay and the rest of the team doesn't like you anymore and we're all mad at you. That's that's (laughs) not the best thing to say to someone, you know what I mean, who's got a terrible amount of stress and they're afraid and things like that. Maybe true, still don't say that. Yeah, I'll I'll give a, I'll throw myself under the bus on this one and give a really good example, um, which is that for a lot of us, I, my kids have been out of school and they've been out of school for a bit now. Um, and so we're juggling that as best we can. And what that has translated to is that there have been days where, um, I have had to go into the clinic, um, to, to deal with the ever changing chaos. Um, and the kids have had to come with me. And in the beginning it was like, okay, we're managing this great. They, I'm giving them projects. They're, they're staying busy. Um, and this week I'm just like, I can't handle it. And I, uh, they were doing something and just like something that I could have very, I'm very good at ignoring (laughs) when they're acting out in small ways. Um, and I just couldn't, and I was like snappy and I was just like, I, my, my, one of my team members saw me starting to lose my shit over something that was so small. And they were like, Hey guys, do you want to come over here and let's play with the, um, modeling clay for our euthanasia paw prints and let's make puppies and kittens and like distracted them. And I, it was so huge for me because I literally couldn't cope with something that on a normal day I could have very easily just been like can you two just chill out we're gonna leave in 10 minutes and that would have been my response and in this environment it was like oh my god I you're driving me nuts and I was I was I was snapping and I was yelling and this person saw that and was like let me let me help and so I think it's a lot more of that like recognizing that the responses for all of us are not normal right now And we have to go above and beyond with being able to give each other a little bit of grace, but also checking in. And just like you said, saying, are you, you know, how's it going? You seem, 
you seem, you know, a little stressed out. You seem more stressed out than normal. I, it seems like you've been, you know, snapping or yelling a little bit more than normal. How can I help in approaching it from that place of compassion? Yeah, compassion now more than ever. Like that is going to be the go-to for dealing with uh, interpersonal conflict right now. And it's, it's always a great place to come from, but more so now than ever. Because no one wants to get in trouble at work on top of the stress that they're already dealing with. And so compassion is is your friend. If you want to play a fun game right now, and this is also helpful for you, I, I, we're all wired so that when people mistreat us or act out in a certain way, we think it's about us. And that's just our sort right. of self-centered worldview is. Yes. Stephanie sure. is yelling she hates me. She's mad at me. I, she thinks that I, this is my fault. And the truth is Stephanie's not even thinking about you. Right. You are not right. on Stephanie's <laughs> radar. You are such a distant afterthought. Yeah, th that's it. It's true. So if you want to, if you want to play a fun game that will help you get into that headspace to say everyone, almost everyone that I'm dealing with is, uh, is under a lot of stress. Let's think about what quirks they show when they're stressed. And so you are juggling kids and stuff and stretching out, stressing out. The thing that I do, which uh, has caused some problems is when I get stressed, I get quiet. I get quiet and I think, and it's, you know, I, it's because my gears are spinning a million miles an hour. And the other thing is I know I'm not in a good mood. And so I don't say anything. You know, it's always one of those things where it's like, if, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Right. And so I think that that's deep in my personality of like, well, you know, I'm, I don't have anything fun or upbeat to say, so I'm just going to be, I'm going to be quiet and get my stuff done. Right. And the problem is that when I get angry in life, I also, I do the same thing. I get quiet because, you know, sure. that's, that's my sort of go-to is be silent until you know what you're going to say and how you want to say it. And so me being under stress looks a lot like me being angry and, you know what I mean? And, and so my wife says, why aren't you talking? Or the technicians are right. like, are, no, you know, yeah. like they're, they're kind of on pins and needles because I'm just not saying anything. And right. usually I'm bouncing around, I'm teasing and joking and laughing. And I'm right. just like, let's, let's get this done. And it's, it's, again, that's my stress perk is just, I'm a quieter person now than on a regular day. And it's not about anyone that I'm dealing with. But that's just where I am. And so my point is just that we all have these different quirks that come out under stress. Don't sure. take it personally. Uh, if you're worried about it, come from a place of compassion. It's not, why are you mad at me? It's, are you, are you doing okay? Right. Right. Yeah, I think, I think that's so important. And look, um, I am definitely not going to tell you to ignore true HR issues right. or true, true issues that are happening in your practice. And if, if this is just uncovering a bigger problem that has been there all along, which is the case, I think for a lot of people, and we're going to talk about that in another question that we got, but, but, um, I think even so you still have to start from a place of this is, this is not um, does not seem normal, even for this person or this situation, what's going on and start with, start with a, you know, from a place of compassion. Yeah, I, I completely agree. All right. Another question that we get all the time, and many of you are feeling this right now. We are doing 
everything that we're supposed to be doing. We are not letting clients in the building. We're wearing PPE. We are sterilizing everything. We are uh, only seeing emergencies. We are not doing any wellness stuff. We're turning away. And gosh darn it, the clinic down the street is running full tilt business as usual with clients coming in the building and they're, you know, doing annual examinations and they are poo-pooing all of this. And it makes the clients think that we are overreacting when they see other clinics or their friends are going to clinics that are not doing any of what we're doing. We look like chicken little. They don't take us as seriously. How in the world can those guys not follow the rules? This is a hard one. Okay. (laughs) I can start. You want me to start? Yeah. All right. Here's... Here's the deal. Um, this is a, this is tough. This is tough. This is like one of those life lessons that we, that we deal with. I'm going to break this down a couple different ways. So, so be patient with me. My daughter, uh, came to me and her mother and said, can I have my friend over for a sleepover? And we both just looked at her like she had three heads. And we were like, <laughs> and of course, there was my silent, you know, I was silent. And then I said, no, oh. no, why would you ask us that? And it turns out that her other friends, some of her other friends are totally having sleepovers. Yeah. They're getting together. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're 12 years old. Right. And so right. at 12 years old, your friends getting together and you not being included is a big deal. Right. And, and she teared, you know, my daughter teared up and we were like, no, in the same way I can empathize. And I'm like, that sucks that, you know, these other people are, they're not following the rules. They're not taking this seriously and they're having a big time. While right. well, my daughter is here playing Monopoly with her dad, you know, right. Um, right. it's like it's like some sort of, of prison sentence. So, so I, I think that we're seeing. I think a lot of us see that on a, on a more grown up scale, and it doesn't seem fair. And it's you know, and we're saying I'm making these hard decisions, and they're just putting their head in the sand and they're going wide open. I I think the first thing to try to do is to get yourself into a good headspace, right? We can only control what we can control. We can't control the clinic down the road. And again, I sound like I'm, I sound exactly like I'm having, um, having the conversation with my daughter. We can't control your friends' families. And right. I'm not saying they have bad parents, but their parents <laughs> are not as good as your parents. <laughs> like, like no, that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever repeat. But I'm 100 percent saying that, and don't you ever repeat it. Yeah, but don't ever repeat it. Their parents are stupid. Um, no, 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 no. Um, so, <laughs> so we can't control what the clinic down the road does. Like we just can't. And getting upset about what they do is not healthy. It doesn't change anything for us mentally. Yeah. It's not a good place to be. Remember, control what you can control. Do what you're doing at your clinic 
not because it's the best business strategy. It's because it's the right thing to do. Decide what you think is ethically right. Decide what you can do to keep people safe. And here's the hard truth. And let me be forgiving of the clinic down the road because, again, this helps me feel good about the world is believing that people are good. And the clinic down the road, they're not monsters. They're not terrible. They're not trying to put you out of business. They're probably doing their best. And the truth is, guys, a lot of our colleagues, they're not ready for this. They right. don't have they don't have savings. They right. just built a new facility or they've got a right. massive new lease or they right. just started a new service and they, right. they they took on a lot of debt or they leveraged or you know or or whatever. They spread themselves thin. They they spent they spent sort of their emergency savings. And guys, we have a lot of friends and I pray for them that um that that don't they can't shut down or they don't think that they can shut down. And right. or, or or they just get overwhelmed when they start thinking about what that means and they just can't handle it. And so they literally put their head in the sand either because they're too overwhelmed to really dig into this or because they don't have a choice. Right. And right. and like and when you think of it in that way, you go, oh, my God, I. I feel sorry for the, you know, I, I feel right. sorry for that clinic. And it may be that they're going, we aren't going to be able to, to, we're going to lose our house if, right. if we don't keep running as fast as we're running. Right. Um, again, assume good intent. Everyone's fighting a battle. We don't know anything about, I think having thoughts like that has helped me look past other clinics, you know, that are running wide open and act like this is a problem while, while we're, while we're doing uh, all the stuff that we're doing. And for me, I, I, I definitely have been there, which is why this question is hard for me. And the, you know, the immediate responses, <laughs> I want to unsheathe the, the flaming raging sort of justice and just like go nuts on the people who are, who are not, because I've, I've had to answer that question. I've had clients, actually screaming at me about the fact that they're just going to take their records and go, you know, to another practice in town who is perfectly happy to see them today for their wellness visit. That's not due for any vaccines. And they just want to get, you know, their heart guard refilled today. Um, you know, those are the actual conversations that we're having. And it's really hard in the face of those conversations um, to, to not get frustrated and to not get angry or emotional about how we're responding to it. Um, and for me, I really, um, I sat back and I actually was watching um, one of the pre press conferences that our governor had, had given <clears throat> because I wanted to get some clarity on some of what he had, uh, had shared about our stay-at-home order. And I was listening to what he was talking about and he was talking about the fact that we all have a part to play in this. And he talked about, um, you know, taking care of the people in our lives who are immunocompromised or who are elderly and at a high risk or who are pregnant or whatever. And there was a whole list of things. And that really, for me, um, made it so that in my brain, I was able to start thinking about how I feel on a 
moral and ethical level about responsibility in this situation. And for me, it had always felt pretty clear cut, but that kind of solidified it. And I thought about some of our clients and I thought about our little, um, like 72 year old client who comes in, um, and he, he got, we see him regularly. Mm -hmm. He's a regular. Um, and he comes in and he always pays in cash and he loves to talk to the whole team Mm -hmm. and he's there on a regular basis. And I thought about him and I was like, this is the client who can't come in the building. Like, I know that he wants to come pay us with cash and he doesn't use credit cards, but this is the person that we're trying to protect. Mm -hmm. And so the answer was my team calling him and saying, we're going to see your pet because she she needs ongoing therapy um, that we're going to see her. But you know what? You can't come in the building. And you know what? You can't pay us until this is over either. Like, we want to keep you safe. And it was about asking my team to think about those clients and say, we're going to try and problem solve this with those kind of people in mind because we did feel a moral and ethical obligation to do our part to help keep people safe. And so when we thought about it from that perspective and when we stopped thinking about what was everybody else doing, it was actually really easy for us to decide as a team, how do we want to approach this? Because we, we did have perspective. But that perspective was really clouded by looking at what is everybody else in town doing. So I imagine you going out and having that exact conversation with your staff and they go, yeah, you're right. And then Stephanie Goss goes into her office and she closes the door and this and the, and the, the screen kind of gets hazy as we see in her mind. And and now we're at the clinic down the road and the front doors just fly off their hinges and the front desk person is like, <laughs> Welcome to Jonesboro Animal Hospital. And Stephanie Goss just storms in with the flaming, raging sword of justice and, and just wreaks vengeance upon. And as the daydream ends, she's walking away and the clinic is exploding behind her and she's not looking back at it. And then serenity falls over Stephanie's face and she goes back to work. So that's, that's the daydream that you can have. And then you put it away and you go and do what is right. But imagine the flaming raging sword of justice if you have to. And then, and then go on. All right. So I think, I think the next question that comes up a lot falls right in line with that because it's a hard one. And it's, it's one that has to start with, what do we think? What do we believe it, within our clinics? And that is what services are essential. And this is a really hard one because there are states and, and counties that have come out um, very clearly and defined it in some places. And there are other places that are like, nah, you're professionals, you use your judgment, figure it out. And right. there's everything in between. And so we have this massive spectrum and people have no idea where do we start. And so for me, where it started was, okay, what has the government said? So what did the state of Washington say? Writing that down and then saying, okay, now what, who are as veterinarians, who are our, um, you know, who are our thought leaders, who are governing bodies, who, who are involved? We have a state VMA. Um, We have state medical board. Um, and our veterinarians are all active members of those associations and also the AVMA. 
And so just like when we're directing clients and team members to legitimate sources of information, asking them to look at stuff from the CDC and the World Health Organization, I did the same kind of thing with how do we look at this from a practice perspective. So I looked at what is what is AVMA recommending, what is our state medical association recommending, what is the medical board saying, and then what has the governor said. And I put all of that down and we pulled it apart like a puzzle. And we said, okay, now how do we put all of this together and how do we make a decision? And a lot of this has to involve conversation with all of your veterinarians. Because I will tell you the number one thing that will make this fall apart is that if you have a veterinarian on your team who believes one thing and the rest of your team is all in agreement, and there's a misalignment here. And so it's having an co- open conversation. And that's exactly what we did. All of my doctors sat down and we said, what are we going to, what are we going to do? And I recorded and I gave input on the things that I felt like I could give input on from a business perspective. But I wanted to know, how do you guys feel medically? Um, you know, and if you're in a state where it's been really clearly defined for you, you don't have choice. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, <laughs> totally. That That's exactly it. So a lot of us are not in a place where uh, where it has been defined. the 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 right. point that I want to make with this that I that I think uh, helps a lot of people get on the same page is the fact that let's be honest, what is an essential service that changes based on how long we're doing this, right? So and don't so just put that on the table and think about that for a second, right? If you are not able to do anything but essential services for a week, you're probably going to be like I'm talking about emergency surgery only. But right. if we're talking about essential services for 2 months, you start to say, okay, well, this dog has got this dog needs oral surgery. This right. dog has a tooth abscess. Right. Like is that it, People with uh, human dentists would say that is an emergency surgery. You know, any sort of oral surgery, things like that, that's emergency surgery because it's painful and it hurts, you know, and, and you've got this, this, if it's a person with pain, you go, you know, we need to fix this. And so that becomes an urgent thing. Is that the case for us? I mean, I think you can make a, make a case that any sort of dentistry where there's a tooth or teeth that need to come out, that's, that seems uh, that seems legitimate to me in a lot of ways. Again, if we're not doing this for two weeks, I say, okay, well, you know, let's keep them comfortable and we'll push this off. But when we get out to two months, that's different. What about the person with the one-year-old cat that's not spayed? And we're like, oh, well, we can't, you know, we can't do that because it's not, uh, it's not a, um, an emergent service. Right. Are we just going to say to those people, I, Hey, I'm sorry. Your one-year-old outdoor cat is not going to get spayed. Because right. it's not a high enough priority for us. And again, could we put that off a week or two? Sure. Can we put that off two or three months? Uh, it's springtime. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not advocating for anything here other than I'm trying to make the point that what is a service worth doing that changes from are we doing if, if we're doing this for two weeks versus a month versus two months versus three months versus six months. Right. And so the point that I would make to everybody is we should start to think about this. And here's the other thing. If you're in the Northeast, um, Lyme vaccines, because we're coming into tick season, um, Lyme vaccines are a human health concern. Right. And so I'm just saying there's going to be differences between 
geographic areas. And there's also, this is a moving target where, where we might say, Hey guys, we need to start doing these procedures because we haven't done them. And we've got a lot of people waiting and a lot of people need them. And we're going to be smart about how we do them. And that could be everything from, and again, getting creative, that could be everything from saying, we're going to rent a trailer uh, with air conditioning and put it outside of our clinic. And we're going to do vaccinations out there because they need to get done. And we're going to get a space that we can sterilize. And, you know, and and we're going to have a, a team that only works out there and blah, blah. There's a million things you can do. Right. When you get the doctors together, it helps to say, hey, guys, we don't know how long this is going to go for. We are going to keep reevaluating what we're doing in the future. And so do not feel like this is a one-time thing and and you have to die on this hill or we're never going to start spaying pets again. You know what I mean? It just, it lowers the stress for everybody that you say, guys, we're looking at the month of April. Right. What right. services we'll be providing in the month of April, knowing right. that that may change for the month of May. Right. Right. And the, the, yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. That, 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 that's, that's the point that I would make when we say, what is essential? I would say, don't ask what is essential. What is essential right now, knowing that that may change in the coming weeks? And that brings everybody's stress level down. It doesn't feel like you have to have your crystal ball on point. You you know what I mean? Like, we can reassess. We can get more restrictive as we go on. We can get less restrictive as we go on. It's not a one time we have to get this right forever and always. Like, just keep driving the car and make small touches to the wheel as opposed to yanking it. And and I think um, a big part of it too is in how we communicate it to our clients. And I would I would say communicating to our clients the same way we are to our teams, hopefully, with um you know with transparency and saying to clients, you know, okay, so if you're in a location where your um you know state or your local city has put, um, you know, a shelter in place or stay at home order at most of them started conservatively and said, we're going to do this for two weeks. So say that to your clients, say, look for the next two weeks, this is what we're going to do to protect our team and to protect you. And we realize that it's inconvenient or realize that it's frustrating, but this is not going to last forever. And at some point it's going to change. And it's either going to be that things are lifted and we go back to normal or a new normal or, or we find out that things are going to continue. And then we look at it two more weeks or a month at a time. And so I think, I think you're a hundred percent right. And I think it's so smart in how we look at it because at some point the definition of essential and emergent are going to change. And in the beginning for us, it was like, okay, we have, um, you know, shelter in place coming. What does essential or emergent actually mean in, in light of that. And we were really struggling to define it because um, all of us that are planners, we're looking at this in terms of the, the long-term picture. Like if this stretches on for weeks or months, the, the answer is very different. If you ask me, what can I live without in my practice for two weeks? My answer is going to be radically different than if you ask me, what can our patients live without for six months? You know, and so I think that that is, that is a huge piece of it. And so I think, um, in terms of how we communicate it to your clients, 
I think the answer still has to be the same and telling them we don't know. And the Mm -hmm. situation is changing every day and we are doing our best to protect you and to protect our patients. And so here's what we can do right now. And we will let you know as soon as that changes. Let's, let's stick with the, um, emergence, uh, with the emergency procedures and the limited service and, and go into the next question that we've been getting a lot. So let me, let me set this up a little bit. What, um, what we have seen across the country in Uncharted is that as the pandemic sort of comes to an area, we actually see increase in business. We're actually seeing people who have kids at home and uh, they have free time and they're working from home and they're like, I'm going to get this stuff done. And we yeah. see clinics actually get busier. And then, and again, I'm speaking wild generalities, but this is the, this is the pattern. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steph, or, or say if you disagree. So what seems to happen is something locally happens. There's the first death or deaths. There's um, the numbers jump way up. There's a shelter in place order. Something happens that resonates with the community pretty much all at once. And they go, oh, oh, this is a thing. And, And the next day, the number of appointments fall by half. Yep. And so you, I mean, so clinics are rocking and rolling and all of a sudden one day they show up and, and appointments just start disappearing and click, mm-hmm. click, 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 click. And then all of a sudden you're standing around and yep. that we've seen that again and again, sort of rolling across the country. Um, yep. and so, so I think this first thing is to say, if people are rocking and rolling and they're like, I guess we're going to be riding this out. I, I don't mean to scare you, but I do want to Put, at least put that on your radar where it has not been a slow decline. It has been the faucet gets turned off. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and so then we have people standing around, you know what I mean? And, um, and we have freaked out practice owners and practice managers and medical directors and things like that. So that's where this question comes from. What, what, what we have heard a number of times is we have people um, standing around during the day and we'll see three appointments right. all day long. And then we'll have a real emergency come in towards the end of the day and the staff wants to ship it to the emergency clinic. They want to get out of there. They want to go home. And the young practice owner or the practice owner who's got a mortgage or trying, who's trying to pay the people and keep them on, you know, keep them on payroll, you know, is losing their mind and they're either getting angry or they're getting scared and they're like, I paid you guys full salary to stand here all day. And now we actually get some work that we can do and you guys want to go home. Right. And so that's, that's a, a bit to unpack there. Now let's address this question. I guess the first thing that I want to say is we talk a lot on this podcast about work-life balance and setting personal boundaries and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not trying to shame anybody who says I need to get home to my kids. Right. right? Like, like I get that. At the same time, I think it's very easy to see the frustration bordering on panic of the practice owner who says, guys, I'm trying to give you guys jobs. I'm trying to keep you employed. And we get get what would be half of our income for the day and nobody will stay late and help me do this work. Yeah. I think that's a very understandable emotion to feel as well. And so how do we square those things? Yeah. And I, and I think I think where a lot of the struggle comes in is um, finding that 
and it is a very for me it's a very thin fine line between being um panicked with the team and being honest and transparent and if the team has no idea that you literally might not make payroll because the business has turned off overnight i mean that that your description was a hundred percent true for my practice we were literally on pace to do our biggest march ever in the history of the practice i mean we were doing double uh, revenue-wise, what we normally do in a day with our doctors, and literally overnight, it went down by more than half. Um, and so, and it has continued to be that struggle. And so, I where we were literally less than seven days ago is radically different from where I am today. And so, if you don't share some of that with your team, and and do it in a calm and um, honest way. And that's why I said it's a very fine line and it's a hard one to figure out how to walk. But if you don't share some of those concerns, they are not going to be able to comprehend why you're asking them to do what you're asking them to do. In the absence of that information, they are 100% going to be thinking about themselves Mm -hmm. and thinking to my to my kids or I want to get dinner on the table and oh my God, I've stood here or I've worked on project like my team is you know, they're, they're working on projects, we're doing training. And for some of them, that's not their, that's not their favorite thing to do. And so they're like, get me out of here. If you're not honest with them about why you're concerned, they're not going to care. You have to, you have to have some transparency with them. And I think this is where the struggle starts for a lot of clinics. Yeah, I I completely, I completely agree with that. So being transparent, I think is the number one thing. And I, I think a lot of, a lot of our of our practice owners and practice managers, our medical directors, they feel like they're not supposed to show any sort of weakness or concern because they don't want to panic the staff. And there's truth to that too. We don't want to, we don't want to run around like the sky is falling at the same time. We do need to let them know what's going on and what the realities are. And, and I guess the other part of that conversation that, that I would, that I would like to have is to say, guys, these are unprecedented times. And, you know, know that we are trying to work through this. And I, I think what I'm, what I'm sort of trying to get at and what I'm, what I'm trying to, to bring around to is, guys, this is not a new precedent that I'm setting. You know, we might stay and do work now that we would not do when we weren't dealing with a pandemic, when we weren't running a skeleton crew, you know, when we weren't seeing three appointments in a day. And when things go back to normal... This is not going to be the new norm, but guys for right now, we need to pull together to keep the lights on. And the, um, the, um, the, the, the wording that I really liked, uh, came from, from, uh, one of our members, Bruce Frank, Dr. Bruce Frank. And he says to his staff, we want to be here when things turn back around and when the community needs us to recover. And so I, I, I just, I like that wording as guys, we want to be here when, uh, when the community is recovering, we need to take care of ourselves and, and, and work now that we can. Yeah. I, I think, um, it's, it's super, super smart. And Bruce is definitely a, a very, uh, smart guy. And he's also very, very um 
open and honest with his team. And I think that that's, um, I think that that's what we have to do. And look again, you guys, every situation is going to be different. What, what your practice is facing, your, your payroll costs, your, um, business loan needs, your, um, you know, your situation as a practice owner or practice manager, like it's all, it's all different and we all have different pressures and that, um, that is important. And it's also important to talk to the team and make them a part of the conversation. They don't need to know all the nitty gritty details. They don't need to know, um, the things that, that could really make them panicked. But they do kind of have to know the reality. And if you as a practice owner are sitting there facing half empty bank account and trying to figure out how you're going to make payroll, I think you you have to sit down and be honest with them and say, guys, this is where we're at. We have to change the way that we are responding to things. I need your help to do this. Let's figure out a plan so that if we have a hit by car that walks in the door at five o'clock, that we have a plan for how we can handle that in light of what is happening right now, not how do we handle a hit by car four weeks ago or six weeks ago or six months ago or six months from now, but how do we deal with that right now? Right. And just to be clear, I, obviously we're not talking about um, lowering our standard of care in any way, shape or form. It's, it's purely um, figuring out how to get this done and what are we going to do and what are we not going to do? All right. Let's end with this, uh, with this one last question. Um, and this is this is something I speak to as far as managers and, and practice owners a lot. And I feel like there is a great feeling of despair for a lot of uh, of people where they feel like I work so mu- so hard to build this team or I work so hard to build up these this savings account for myself or for my business or I work so hard to get out of debt. And now I'm looking at taking an SBA loan and I'll be back in debt. Um, it's just all the work that I did is now coming apart. And it's just the, I think the sadness that goes with that for a lot of us is enormous. And uh, people feel, they feel frustrated. They feel defeated. They feel sad. They feel angry. And so I've wrestled with that a little bit, obviously, with Uncharted and us uh, rescheduling the April conference. And, man, it was going to be so good, and I worked so hard on it. And the team worked so hard on it. And, like, it was really going to be amazing. And it's just – and now it's not going to be. And um, and that's that's really tough. There's a, a story that's given me a lot of comfort recently, and I, th- I think this would be a good place to end. Um there's it's again it's it's a it's a buddhist proverb and there's this monk and she's walking in the forest and she comes to a river and the river is too wide for her to cross and so she takes time and energy a lot of time and a lot of energy and she builds a raft she she goes around she finds all the the logs and the sticks and she gathers all this stuff and she finds vines to to tie it together there's a significant expenditure of time and energy and so she finally makes this raft that can that can float and get across the the river and she takes the raft and she crosses the river and then she gets to the other side and at this point the buddha asks what should she do now does she leave the raft that she works so hard on or does she drag it behind her as she goes on and the buddha says that the monk should leave the raft and go on. And he says that 
she built the raft because she needed the raft. And now she's in a different place. And dragging this behind her is, it only holds her back. And more importantly for me, his next point is, not only should she leave the raft, she shouldn't be resentful about the time she spent building the raft. Because she needed to have that raft. And so spending that time building that raft was time well spent. It was what she needed to do. And now the raft is used she should not think twice about that time, but go on. And I've gotten a lot of comfort out of that story of saying, we built that because we needed to build it. We got out of debt because we needed to get out of debt. And the fact that we have to take a loan now doesn't negate the fact that we needed to get out of debt when we got out of debt. Um, the fact that um, we have a, a, a smaller team than we had doesn't negate the fact that we built the best team that we could possibly build when we built it. You know, um, the fact that we're spending our clinic savings doesn't negate the fact that we needed to build up a clinic savings for this very reason. And so feeling pain about watching the savings wind down isn't really productive. We built the savings up so that we could cross this river. And at the other side, we may have to leave the savings account behind. But we built it because we needed it. And now we shouldn't be resentful of the time that we built, that we needed to build it. So anyway, you got anything else to add? Yeah. And I, w I would say that, that um, for me, it, this is, this one hits really close to home because it is, um, it is sad. It's defeating. It makes me angry. I've mm -hmm. been so frustrated. And I think I'm being honest with the fact that all of us are going to grieve this situation in some way. This is all part of the natural progression and life cycle of grief. And I think for a lot of us, it's hard to understand that that's what we're experiencing. Um, but there is a natural process to it. And I have seen myself starting to go through um, some of the stages of it. And it took me a bit to recognize that. And I think that that's the most, the most important part for me is to recognize that it's okay to be feeling all of the things that you're feeling, including being overwhelmed at feeling it so much, you know, that I, I have cried um, in, the, in the last week. Um, more times than I want to have to count. And that's really hard for me. And so it's like giving myself the grace to say, it's okay that I, that I'm yeah. crying. And I'm sometimes I'm crying because I'm angry. It's not just because I'm sad, but there's sadness too. And so recognizing the emotions that you're feeling and also recognizing that some of us need help. And some of us need to say, whether it's just, sitting down and picking up the phone. And I, I've certainly done this in the last week, picking up the phone and calling you and just saying, Hey, how's it going? Or yesterday I got so happy because my phone lit up and it was a call from our friend, Jen Galvin. And she was just like, <laughs> and I actually like, it makes me so happy because her face pops up on my screen. And it was just like, I don't, she said, I don't actually need anything. I just wanted to see how you're doing and say hi, whether it's, making connections like that or whether it's, um, you know, taking time to decompress and read for fun, turn off the TV, turn off social media, pick up a book, do something 
um, you know, go outside and garden, whatever it is that you can do in your socially distant space that's going to give you some happiness, do it. And, and it's also okay to recognize that you need help. And while we may not have access to traditional, um, you know, going to my therapist's office for a regular appointment, I can absolutely pick up the phone and I can do a telemedicine consult mm-hmm. and I can say, Hey, I'm really struggling with this right now. I need, I need some help and recognizing that this is a, this is a considerable weight. And we want to think that we might just be bearing it for a short time. But for some of us, um, I think for a lot of us, this is going to be um, an extended level of stress and anxiety and all of those other feelings. And so figuring out how are you going to, how are you going to cope with, with that so that you can be there on the other side for your team. And, and we can all come out of this, um, you know, on, on the other side, cause that's, that's really the end, the end goal. Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks for talking through this with me. I do appreciate it. Yeah, this is good. I hope, I hope it helped you guys and, um, you know, hang in, hang in there. Cool. Everybody take care. Have a good week. Okay. Bye guys. And that is our episode, guys. I hope it was helpful. Hey, listen, if you're hanging out and you got a little bit of free time, you want to do something nice just in the world, head over to iTunes and write us an honest review. That means the world to me and to Stephanie. It helps other people find us and it lets us know what you guys think of the show. So please, if you have just a moment, that means the world to us. Also, if you want to talk about something else or if there's questions that we didn't answer, feel free to email them over. The email address is podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.